First Peter chapter 4, context of everything that's going on. If you're reminded, right, we have Peter, uh, this disciple that put his foot in his mouth so often, uh, the disciple that would slash first and then ask questions later, right? Uh, the one that did so many great things and so many dumb things, right? And he's here after being filled with the Holy Spirit, after God doing such a work in and through him. He's here writing this letter to a church of Jewish people who have now converted to Christianity. So he's warning them about a few things. And one thing to keep in mind, especially in these six verses, is one of the very prevalent things during this time period was worship to Caesar. Worship to Caesar. You would literally come in and say, Hail Caesar, you'd give your offering, your sacrifice to Caesar, and then they literally let you do anything else you wanted. As long as you hailed Caesar. As long as you said, he's good, he's king, he's awesome, he's amazing, he's incredible, he's just like a god. If you were willing to do that, you could do whatever else you wanted. But what was annoying to the Romans, what was annoying to the people in this time, is that the Christians were unwilling to bow down and hail Caesar as king of the universe or anything else like that. Even though their life looked right, even though their life was amazing. So you have these believers going through this suffering from the Romans. Then you also have them going through the suffering from their Jewish family members that are now disowning them. Not allowing them to conduct business with them because now they've swapped off to a new religion after all these years, right? So they're being pressed on every side. And yet we were reminded last week that as our father, right? sent his only son, our big brother, to suffer for us, then we should be ready to suffer for him. Right? We use that analogy. Imagine a husband and wife, and the, wife, the husband goes through cancer, and the wife tends to him, cares for him, protects him, changes his diaper, changes all his tubes, takes care of him, and the cancer goes into remission. He's healthy. He's strong. He's fine. And then a few years later, his wife gets cancer as well. But he just says, I'm no longer willing to suffer with you. I'm out. Right? We would think that man is despicable, right? Worst of the worst. If she was willing to go through all that for him, how dare he not be willing to do the same for her? And again, that should be our mindset in thinking of Jesus and all that he's done for us. His suffering for us. He was, he is perfect, right? We got that really mean quote from Spurgeon at the end, right? That we take little teeny sips of the cup of suffering when he gulped it down. We have no clue what suffering is in light of what Jesus has been through and in light really of what brothers and sisters around the world are dealing with today. This ends up, this closes up this portion in our outline, right? Chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 10 was to remember our great salvation. That's the basis for 1 Peter. It should be the basis for us, the incredible salvation we have. Then the next thing is to remember our example before men. And even in our lifestyle today, we need to be reminded that we are an example to everyone we come in contact with. Whether they are going to make fun of us or whether they're going to respect us. Or whether they're going to make fun of us and then later on in life they're going through a difficulty and then they come around in a corner and they want to ask you about something, right? I don't know if you've had someone at work like that. And then finally, verse 7 through the end of First Peter, it's to remember our Lord will return. But let's dive in verse 1. Therefore, again, what's that therefore? Therefore, it's there because of the end of chapter 3 reminded us of the sufferings of Christ. And now we should be ready for our own set of suffering, right? Therefore, since he has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has 
suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Again, since Jesus Christ went through all that suffering for us, not just as God, but as a human, right? With flesh, he bled, his beard was ripped off, he was beaten, he was bruised, he died. He did that for us in the flesh. Now we should arm ourselves with the same mind. You husbands trying to find a verse to support your 2A purchases, right? There you got it. It says arm yourselves, right? Arm yourselves. That's literally what Peter's saying here, though. Not to go out and buy weapons. But the term here is literally to pick up in a military way, in a way of protection, in a way of getting ready for a really big battle. We are to arm ourselves with the same mind of Christ. That's what he's saying here. We should pull out the big guns because Christ has suffered in the flesh for us. So now we should pull out the big guns so that we can be ready to suffer and to do what we need to do. It's the same word there in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 and verse 13 where we're told to put on the armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. We need to pick up certain weapons and it's not just the ones some of us may have in our closets or hiding around in the day and age we live in. We need to pick up the mindset of Jesus Christ. And we looked at that thoroughly last Wednesday, right? All he was willing to go through even though he was perfect, son of God, creator of heaven and earth. And he went through all of that for us. Again, we need to be willing to suffer for God because we want that faithfulness to him no matter what the cost. We want to be known to God as being faithful even if it's going to cost us something. Even if we have to suffer for it, right? And in any relationship, when you really love someone, you're willing to suffer for them, right? You husbands, I know when your wife asks you to go to the mall... If you really love her, you're willing to suffer with her, right? And say, hey, what are we buying? No, I don't know. I just want to go to the mall. Wait, what? No, what, what, what do you have in mind to purchase? No, I just wanted to walk around, see what's going on, right? And you're willing to suffer with her, right? I got to go to Target. Why do you got to go to Target, right? I just got to see what's in the $5 section, right? And you're willing to suffer and go with her, right? Hopefully, you husbands are willing and you're planning on getting in between your family and a thief or a robber or someone that's willing to do them harm. Because you love them, you say, I'm willing to take the suffering for them because I love them. I want to protect them. I want to be faithful to them, right? I hope none of the men here say, I don't want to go through that suffering. Thief comes in, I trip my wife and I run away, right? There should be no husband here. There'd be no love there. The love would end right there if you'd say that sentence, right? The same mindset we should have with Christ. We love him so much that, Lord, I'm willing to go through suffering for you. I'm willing to be made fun of at work. I'm willing to lose that extra paycheck because I'm not willing to lie or fudge the numbers or work on something, right? You ladies go through suffering in a way that no one can imagine because of your love, right? Who would willingly sign up for a watermelon being installed into your stomach for nine months, right? And then having to push that watermelon out. Who would sign up for that, right? But because you love that child so much, you are willing to go through that suffering. Some of the moms, Amanda was talking with one of the other moms with Ashley, right? You have that first baby and you think, I'm never doing this again, right? Too much suffering. 
But then later on, because of the love, you say, ah, let's do it all over again, right? Some of the ladies here. Again, you're willing to suffer for those who you love and those who you respect. You really love them, you really respect them, you're willing to suffer for them, right? As our parents get older, we should be willing to take care of them, be responsible for them, have our bank accounts suffer in a sense to protect them because we love them and we respect them. So the question for us is, do we really love Christ? Do we really respect him? Or are we finding ourselves in a place where we are just all about fleeing from suffering, right? It tells us that Jesus, he set his face as a flint. He said, I'm going to go through this suffering no matter what because I love Zach that much. I love putting your name there. He looked at the suffering and said, I'm going to go through it. But if we're honest, many believers, their eyes are set a flint to wherever suffering is not. Wherever suffering is not, right? AC is broken at church. I'm going at home today, right? That's why God gave us technology so I don't have to sit in a hot church, right? The mission trip is going where? The boat ride is how long in the jungle? I'm not signing up for that, right? We run from suffering. That's, that's just not Christianity. You go to Matthew chapter 16. Again, Jesus, our Lord, a lot of these scriptures, they, um, they parallel. They're reminders of the service for Resurrection Sunday. Matthew 16, again, our Savior, our Lord, our Master, our Boss, our Rabbi, right? Matthew chapter 16, and again, it's so awesome when you think of Peter during the Gospels and everything he went through, and now he's writing this. Be willing to endure suffering, right? When Peter wasn't really willing to endure the suffering, he ran away from it. But you look here again, Matthew 16, we're going to read verse 21 through 27. And here again, you get an altercation between Jesus and Peter, right? Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and he said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus, he was ready to go through his suffering, and Peter literally pulls him out and says, We don't do that around here. Jesus, we're not about that. That's bad publicity. That's bad for the ministry. And Jesus, again, in being pulled aside, says, Get thee behind me, Satan. That mindset to always run from suffering it's satanic. It's not good. It's not going to make your marriage last. You're not going to be a good parent. You're not going to be a good worker. You're not going to be good at anything if your whole life is about running from suffering. Then in verse 24, Jesus now speaks to his disciples and he says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each one according to his work. Again, being willing to go through suffering is the life of the believer. This is what we've signed up for. Is that not only are we willing to go through suffering, but every day we pick up that instrument of suffering. 
That's, what, that's how we're supposed to live. And now if we're living in this way, right, it says that those who have suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Does that mean that we stop sinning altogether? Not at all. We'll look at the exact definition later, right? But we need to be willing to suffer in the flesh. So first and foremost, again, being made fun of. Losing out on things because of your stance. Because you're saying, like Joseph, I am not willing to do this to my God. And what did Joseph have to suffer? Going to jail, going to prison, even though he did nothing wrong. If Joseph said, you know, I don't want to suffer, I want to run from suffering, he would have slept there with Potiphar's wife. And they would have probably kept a secret as long as God was willing to allow it to be kept a secret. But he says, I am not willing to do this to God, so I'm willing to go through the suffering. Again, family, we will either suffer and run from sin, or we will run from suffering and live in sin. That's our decisions. Because yes, we're going to suffer with relationships and friendships. And we need to be ready because sooner or later we're going to have to go through suffering and persecution. But within our flesh versus the spirit, we are either going to suffer and flee from sin. Or we're going to run from suffering and live in a constant state of sin. That's really the decision when it comes to sin. We either got to be willing to suffer. Man, this is what I feel like doing, but this is what I should be doing, right? This, this, is, what I, this is what my emotions want, my feelings want, but we need to put that to the side. And really, when we are willing to suffer the consequences of doing right, no matter the cost, it reveals that you have really broken away from the chains of sin. That sin really does not have dominion over you, right? You could think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were willing to do right even though the instrument of suffering was literally right in front of them. Daniel, just close your windows, right? Can't you just pray in secret? Can't you just change it up? He says, no, I'm going to pray the same way I've always prayed. Even if I get thrown in the lion's den. Right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The furnace is there. They're heating it up hotter and hotter. And they say, just bow down like everybody else. We know that they weren't the only Jewish boys that were taken. So there's probably some of their peers that were trying to play the long game and say, you know what, I'm going to bow down to this, but later on I'll be able to work Nebuchadnezzar, right? They said no. Even though they're heating the, all, the, the furnace over and over again, they said we are willing to go through this. David Guzik, he says, many of us are defeated in our battle against sin because we refuse to sacrifice anything in the battle. We only want victory if it comes easily to us. Jesus called us to have the kind of attitude that would sacrifice in the battle against sin. Again, really, what do you love most? Do you love your sin more or do you love your Savior more? At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to, right? That's what it truly comes down to. Are we willing to go through suffering? Or we say, Jesus, I want victory from this sin, but... We talk about it often. Lord, just give me the Christian lazy river, right? Just send me down the lazy river of being freed from all my sins. It doesn't work that way. We have to be willing to sacrifice in the battle. Right? You think of people who are at the top of their sport. right? People who are at the top of playing football. Many of them, their fingers are all jacked up. All their fingers are broken, right? It cost them something. They had to go through suffering to get to that point to be the best of the best. I think of Tom Brady, the guy's eating avocado ice cream. That guy's suffering every day, right? <laughs> suffering every day so he could be at the top of his sport. 
If we really want to be freed from sin, Christ, he's done all the work, but now we have to be willing to undergo suffering. Go to Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus, man, he goes wild and out here. Not just suffering, but violence here. Matthew chapter 5, we'll start in verse 27 through 30. And here this is Jesus speaking. And he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Suffering. Chopping off your hand. Plucking out your own eye, right? Talk about suffering. Talk about pain. And we need to be willing to cut off those things that lead us into sin. And again, the warning here is not just our own hands, right? We shouldn't all be, everyone at Calvary Chapel Miami is like, ding, ding, with hooks on their hands, right? That's how everybody CCM says hi to each other. That's that's not the play, right? Because verse 27 and 28, he warns us, they, if you do not commit adultery, that's one thing. But I'm telling you that if you even look and lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So what, are we going to pluck out our minds? Are we all going to get, right, just go brain dead? No, we need to cut off those things that cause us to sin. Relationships, friendships, technology, vices, right, certain hobbies, certain things. Got to cut those things off. If you find that this is always what leads you to sin is when you're up late at night on your phone, then you got to cut some things off. You got to leave that phone in your parents' room. You got to shut it off at a certain time. You got to let people know you need to allow your pride to suffer and tell someone else, this is where I'm struggling. This is where I'm not doing well. But what do we do? We say, I don't want my pride to suffer, so I'm going to handle this by myself, and we keep on sinning, right? I don't want to get rid of that computer. I don't want to get rid of that phone. I just bought it. I don't want to go through the suffering, so I just keep on sinning. That person at work, right, you know that they're trying to play with you. They're flirting with you all the time. You don't want to get rid of that job. You don't want to get rid of that worker, right? Maybe you're the boss and you have that secretary. You don't want to get rid of her. She works so well, and now you keep her. You're not willing to go through the suffering, so you keep on sinning. We got to put, we got to be willing to suffer, Our Lord and Savior was willing to suffer for us. And now if we go through that suffering, are we going to be perfect, right? Peter says we're going to cease from sin. That's not the case. Those words in the Greek, it literally means hath got release. You've been released from it. You no longer are stirred by its incitements and seductions. Sin no longer has chains over you, beckoning you and dragging you where it wants. Now we have freedom in Christ. It's a life of victory. Through the suffering of Christ and our own suffering, we can now live in triumph. It's not that I stop sinning, but sin no longer has dominion over my life. Sin no longer has power that I get used to over me. Now someone can cut me off and I can say, hallelujah Jesus, let's pray for them, right? That's what I can do instead. Because sin no longer has dominion over me. We go to Romans chapter 6. This is the perfect correlating verse here. Romans chapter 6. Because of the suffering of Christ, and now if we are willing to suffer alongside with him, 
we are freed from the power and dominion of sin. Romans chapter 6, we'll read verse 5 through 14. It says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Again, this is the life that we should now be living because of what Christ has done for us. We're identifying with him in faith, and now we are reckoning it. We're taking an accounting term and saying it is done. We're doing the math and saying it's done. I'm free from sin. I don't have to live in that lifestyle anymore. A.R. Fawcett, he says, the Christian is by faith one with Christ. As then Christ by death is judicially freed from sin, so the Christian who has in the person of Christ died has no more to do with it judicially and ought to have no more to do with it actually. The flesh is now the sphere in which sin takes place. Again, we're freed from it. By law, you no longer have to follow sin. But because of our flesh, sometimes we go back to it. Sometimes we revert back to those ways. We're not being obedient to God and his will and taking in his word and abhorring that which is evil and clinging to that which is good. And now when we start going down that path, our flesh can run rampant in our lives. Right? Think of a victim of sex trafficking, a, a sex slave. And you go out and you purchase their freedom, right? You, you get all your life savings and you say, I'm going to purchase this person from their owner. It's sick, it's disgusting, but I'm going to free them. They no longer have to listen and obey their former master. They no longer have to do whatever their former master, the atrocities that their former master had to do. But at the end of the day, it's their own decision. If in their own weaknesses, maybe they don't trust you. Maybe they say, I don't know if they can take care of me. I don't know if they can protect me. And they go back to their former master. That's on them. But you've purchased their freedom. You've made the way for them. And oftentimes when we fall prey to sin, it's out of our own weakness and not trusting the power of Christ. Our own weakness of not willing to go through the suffering that's needed to flee from that sin. But we've been purchased. We've been made brand new. We've been freed from those chains. And now we go back to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 2. Seeing that we've been freed, we should now no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Again, we've spent enough time on this planet in our flesh. 
We spend enough time on this planet living for sin. We spend enough time being used by Satan, used and abused by him, and having nothing to show for it. It's about time we get busy and we should use the rest of our time to glorify God. Right? Have you realized the, how much time we've wasted, right? Each of us, we waste a certain amount of time. Unless you're blessed and you're like a Samuel, super young, right? And you've grown up and you get saved and you're on fire for the Lord since a young age. But many of us, we have wasted time. And the thing with life is at the front end of it, you think like it's forever. It's for eternity, right? The 12-year-olds in here, they think, ah, oh, I'm going to live here forever. I'm perfect. Nothing's ever going to happen, right? You start getting older and you realize you have a back that can have pain, right? You start realizing these different problems and then you start realizing in a blink of an eye, 60, what in the world, right? I was talking with uh, some of the young adults and they, they said that they saw some pictures of us on a mission trip like 10 years ago. They're like, all of you guys look so young. I'm like, what are you talking about, bro? I'm 32 years old. What are you talking about? Look young, right? <laughs> He goes, young is, is my age. And I go, yeah, exactly. Young is my age. All of us in our minds, we think young is whatever age I am, right? But time flies. Time flies by. So how are we going to live the rest of our time? In our flesh? Going back to that old master? Or are we going to now use the time that God has given us to glorify God with all that we have? Again, when sin comes knocking on the door, we should say no longer, right? Close for business. We don't do that here anymore. I don't do that anymore. Now my time is spent for the will of God. It reminds me because that word in Romans, right? It's talking about you're closed for business. When sin and temptation comes knocking on your door, you're going, nope, we don't do that here. Closed for business, right? Uh, by the 67th property across from Tropical Park, there used to be a Boston market, right? When I was, I was a kid, I loved Boston Market. Mac and cheese was super good and chicken and all that stuff. We'd go there after church and it was a great memory. But a couple years afterwards, it became a funeral parlor, right? And now I don't want to go there after church on a Sunday, right? If I have to for ministry, I'm more than willing to. But I don't walk in there and say, where's the mac and cheese, right? Where's the fried chicken? They're saying, we don't do that here anymore. Close for business. And that's the way we're to treat sin, we're saying we're under new management. We no longer do that here. And now secondly, when sin comes knocking on our door, we realize, hey, I've wasted too much time. I've simply wasted too much time to give my life over and over and over to sin. I've wasted too much time allowing the enemy to do whatever he wants with me. To be a vessel of his. I've wasted too much time. I want to give all the time I have left, as much as I have left, for Jesus Christ. I hope that's your mindset here. A couple numbers, right? We think about our lives and all that we do. I think the average lifespan for an American is like 78 or 79 years old. So they took the numbers of all the hours we spend each day. We'll spend 33 years of our life in bed. 33 years of our life, take all those hours, you're going to be in bed. 26 of those years are actually sleeping. Seven of those years is trying to sleep, right? For some of you, maybe more than others, right? But 33 years in bed, the average person. The average person is going to spend 13 years of their life at work. 13 years of life at work. Just punching in, punching out. And all we think about, all we're consumed with is work. We leave the family, right? 
Eleven years of our life is spent on screen time. Eleven years. That's the average. Some of us here are way worse than others, right? Eleven years on the phone, on the TV, on the iPad. The average person spends three years of their life on social media, right? Three years of your life. Nothing but Facebook, Twitter, right? Instagram. Three years of your life gone and spent. For some of us, this number will fluctuate more than others, but you're going to spend four and a half years of your life eating. I think mine's a little bit longer than that, but average person, four and a half years of their life is just eating, just consuming things, right? The good news, or maybe it's bad news, you'll spend three years of your life on vacation out of 13 years, right, in uh, work and 33 years in bed, but hey, you'll get three years of vacation after it all, right? The average is one year of exercise, out of the 79 years. <laughs> That's terrible. We got to up those numbers. That's terrible. You'll spend one year of your life in romance and being active in romance. All right, hopefully us husbands and wives here, we do better with that. Spend less than a year of your life in school, 334 days in school. Again, what, what do we have left for the Lord? What do we have left for him? We take our numbers, we take our hours, right? If, if we're good in our eyes, right, we go to church, you guys are solid, right? Three times a week, I go to Sunday, I go to Wednesday, and I try to make another Bible study. Three hours a week, right? Over that time, how much time is really spent for the Lord? And Peter, he's going to continue to challenge us here because now verse 3, he says, We spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, in lust, in drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, right? Again, it's amazing. This is 2,000 years ago, and he says this is the problem of those who don't live for Christ. And this is basically the problem today of those who don't live for Christ, right? Lewdness is the excess of all kinds of evil. It's lacking self-restraint. I think all over, right, we see people who lack self-restraint. With the young adults, we were talking about that, that guy that just gets into fights at a heat game or a Dolphins game, right? Just zero self-restraint. Zero self-restraint with the alcohol and then zero self-restraint when they don't even know why they're fighting, right? But often throughout life, there's just no self-restraint. The next thing is lust. Basically, living like an animal. You're just going from the next desire to the next desire, Whatever you long for, that's what you go after. And usually the desire is especially for that which is forbidden, right? And you're just living in that. Someone tells you you can't have that, and now that's all you are obsessed with. That girl, guy, again, before you were saved, says they don't want anything to do with you, and now your mission is getting that person and doing what you want with everyone around you. You're just living your life consumed with your desires. The next thing, drunkenness, right? Just having excess of alcohol, just trying to wash away the pain, the agony, the, the loneliness, right? Thinking it's cool, thinking it's going to help you with people. And that, now that's the next thing, right? Revelries. We talked about this earlier. It's mentioned earlier in First Peter. And it's a nocturnal and riotous procession of half-drunken and frolicsome fellows who after supper parade through the street with torches and music in honor of Bacchus or some other deity. It's rioting. That's what 2020 was all about, right? 
And there's people before they come to the Lord, that's all that they're about. That's all they do during the season. They go from city to city to riot, right? That's what they're spending their lifestyle in. Just being drunk and going from party to party, living like a zombie, right? Going from this place to that place. The next thing, drinking parties, right? Excess alcohol. People like to say, oh yeah, Jesus drank wine. Just being like Jesus, right? Maybe drank wine. The alcohol level was way less than wine today. But again, what's your excuse for hard liquor, right? For taking shots and doing all these other things. Jesus, we don't see anything like that in Scripture. The joys, right, of being hammered, wasted, and plastered, right? Let's go have fun. Let's get plastered, right? Some of us, we were all about that before. And finally, he closes it all up with abominable idolatries, right? Those are things which are contrary to law and justice in order to worship their false gods. Whatever's right, whatever's true, whatever's noble, we want to do the opposite. Right? We just want to cuss extra to just bother those people that don't like cussing. I used to be like that. I used to just cuss extra to just bother the people that didn't like that. And we spent so much of our life in this, living this way. And if we're honest, living in it full force. Giving all we can every Friday night, every Thursday night, every Saturday night to this club or that club or that club, right? Go to a Dolphins game and spend eight hours there because you got to get there early. Got to set up the grill. Got to do all these things. And every Sunday, eight hours to tailgate. All this time spent and wasted. And now what are we going to do for the Lord? Say, Lord, I don't got time for you, right? I had time in the BC days for this, that, or the third. But Lord, I don't have time for you. No, we've wasted enough time living like this. It's time to catch up, right? I spent a lot of time uh, in my season really not walking with the Lord in uh, sneaker lines. I used to sit in the line and sleep over at a place to get some shoes so that you could resell for more money. Other people would buy them and just keep them. I didn't get that part, but I would resell them for more money. Hours of my life, nights of my life, sitting in a camping chair in front of a mall, right? Right? And now when God asks me to go on a missions trip, what am I going to say? Nah, God, I don't got time for that. Right? Spend time serving the youth, serving the kids. No, Lord, I don't got time for that. Right? Some of us were into hunting or fishing and the hours it takes to prepare for a trip, right? The hours of sitting on a stand. You could have gone to Publix and back and had all the meal, right? <laughs> the price of the gun, the ammo, the hunting trip, the, uh, the charter, everything. You could have gone to a fancy restaurant and had everything cooked for you. But this is my desire. This is my hobby. This is what I love. Hours spent on that. And now the Lord says, hey, do you want to serve? I don't got time for that, Lord. Not in this season. Again, family, we have to catch up. Got to catch up, right? Don't you want to be faithful to him? Don't you think he's done enough for us that we say, Lord, I want to I pay it back to you, right? I hope none of you guys here that are married treated some of your ex-girlfriends better than you treated your wife now, right? You're pretty grimy, pretty jacked up. Yeah, I used to take my ex-girlfriend to that restaurant. She looks at you, what? You only take me to Taco Bell McDonald's. What are you talking about, right? <laughs> you messed up. What are we doing for the Lord? Are we willing to serve him, right? Then we went off on that tangent uh, last week in announcements, right? Spanish ministry needs servants. Golf cart needs servants. Kids ministry needs servants. Every ministry needs servants, right? Truly, what are our excuses? When we were in the world, we gave our whole life for the world. Hours and hours of time, studying, plans, and for what? For wastefulness, right? 
How much money and time was spent on alcohol and outfits? How much time was wasted for things that are wasteful and that are going to kill us? And now God is saying, I want you to do something that's going to bless you like crazy. And we're saying, Lord, I just don't have time for it. I just don't have time for it, right? Does it make any sense? Then it tells us in verse 4, in regards to that list of things in verse 3, it says, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dispatient or speaking evil of you, right? That word that I can't pronounce to save my life is wastefulness. Wastefulness. They are living a life of wastefulness and they're scratching their head saying, why don't you want to live a wasteful life with me? Right? What's gotten into you? Why don't you want to spend all Thursday night at the club and being drunk and now we got to wake up early the next day and we're all fuzzy having to wear sunglasses? Why don't you want to do that with me, right? And it says that they're going to be shocked they're surprised, they're astonished by the strangeness of us. And then it tells us after their shock, they're going to speak evil of you. And I say it's to ease their own conscience, right? A good question for us is, family, what do your BC friends say about you, right? Have you had anyone look at you and say you're strange? Or do they say, it's the same guy, he just got a new hobby, right? Or do they look at your life and now they think you are strange? They think you're a novelty. They think you're an alien. Has that happened in your lifestyle? Or are you running so much with the world, they think you're one of us, right? You're just like me. Verse 4 is convicting to me because this is the way the world should see us, especially those that used to know us before Christ and those that have seen us afterwards. There should be a huge seismic change in our lives. And if there hasn't, we should be concerned with that. They will, at first, they're just going to be shocked, right? Man, why don't you want to go to happy hour with us, right? Ah, you're just a preacher boy now, right? Just a Bible thumper, right? You're just religious. You're trying to save yourself, right? All this different stuff, right? They'll make fun of you. And then they'll begin to speak evil about you, right? Start talking garbage. Stop talking smack about you. And usually, it's so that they can ease their own conscience. They try to say, oh, they're, eh, like, they're just so bad. They're just so terrible. They're just trying to hide this. They're trying to hide that, right? And they're trying to ease their own conscience, F.B. Meyer, he says this, he says, It does not matter how good your deeds are received by men. If you are like God, you will find them received with contempt and ingratitude. We don't participate in the sin around us. We convict those who practice their sin, and they don't like that. So, they speak evil of us. Again, this is the life of a believer. Our life of holiness should be convicting to the people around us. That's the life that we should be living. Again, it's super sad. We had a great time. We had a wedding a couple weeks ago, and we get in the elevator. We're all in our suits, all the groomsmen. We're all there, and there's three guys. They're not all there, right? So they've had a couple too many drinks. And the guy says, oh, you're getting married? Good luck, all stuff. And we just the conversation started like, oh, are you married? Are you going to get married? He goes, no, and I don't know if she's going to marry me after what I did this weekend. Bye, see you later. That was the hello, how are you in the elevator? Again, just the madness of it, the difference of a lifestyle, but it is a wasted life. It should be convicting. That for him was just a, a therapy session so he can get off his chest all the evil that he's doing that weekend. That's the lifestyle we should be living. We should be convicting to the people around us. 
Not by our words, but by our actions. Our stance on sin. Parents, your kids should be convicted at your stance on sin. Not just your words, but your stance. If you're going to sin, it's not going to be under my watch or under my eyes, right? I hope there's no parents here. I want my kids to get drunk in my house so that they're safe and protected instead of doing it out in the world. That's ridiculous. We should live a life that they think we are strange. They think we're crazy. And again, and like F.B. Meyer said, it doesn't matter how good your deeds are. It doesn't matter how good you do at work. It doesn't matter how great of a worker you are. If you convict them with their sins, they're going to lash out on you. Right? Think of Daniel and all that he did for each of those kings. All that he did for them, how he protected them, told them their dreams, told them all this. And yet when they stood for righteousness, they came against him. Think of David and all he did for Saul, right? All he did for Saul, the battles he won, taking care of his daughter, all that David did. David fought Goliath when that was Saul's job. And yet when Saul wanted to protect his own self and his own pride, and David was saying, man, I want to serve the Lord, he went after him. That's the lifestyle we should live. Verse 5, it tells us, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Again, for those of us who are living for the Lord and living a righteous life, this is great news. But if you're not living for the Lord, if you're not living a righteous life, if you're living lukewarm today, this is some challenging news, right? Because at the end of the day, it will not matter what this world thinks is right or wrong. At the end of the day, all the news, all the interviews, all the ideas, all the... I, I haven't seen TV during the day in such a long time. Right? All those talk shows where you got like five ladies all talking to each other, right? And what they think. At the end of the day, none of that's going to matter. Because everyone is going to stand before the Lord. And he's the one who accounts what is good and what is evil. Doesn't matter what this world says. Doesn't matter what your friends say or your coworkers. Doesn't matter what your kids say or your parents say. Doesn't matter what your spouse says. All that matters is at the end of life we will stand before God and he will judge what's right and what was wrong. He's the judge. So again, forget about living for this world. Forget about the fear of men and what people think about you. Fear God because he's going to be the judge. You're not going to stand there with all your coworkers that were at happy hour and they're going to judge you whether you go to heaven or hell. No, it's God himself. What did you do with what I gave you, right? Finally, verse 6. For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God and the Spirit. And this verse is kind of like a, a curveball. We looked at a curveball last time in verse three, in chapter 3. But truly here, what I believe, just giving you what, what I believe, what I think you can study later on. Peter here is saying that the gospel has been preached to every life, to everyone that's been alive. Those that are dead, those that have come, those that are, will be coming one day, the gospel will be preached to them because that judgment will be made. And they will be held accountable to the gospel that has been preached to them. Every single person is going to be held accountable for what has happened. David Guzik, he says, it may also be that Peter here had in mind those in the Christian community who had already died, perhaps dying even as martyrs. If this is the case, then Peter used their heroic example as a way to encourage his suffering readers to also be faithful. Again, family, may we be faithful. 
There are many heroic examples in the faith of people, of believers who were unwilling to bow the knee. And we get tired. We get exhausted. The world around us getting darker and darker, dumber and dumber too, right? More and more foolish. And here, there are probably Christians just saying, you know what? Let me just bend the knee to Caesar and I'll just live for the Lord. Like my whole life is going to be for God, but let me just bend the knee to Caesar, you know, once a year, whenever I got to do it. But God, you see my heart, you see my life. And Peter's saying, no, guys, we've seen our brothers and sisters who were willing to go through the maximum amount of suffering because of the suffering he went through for us. Let's stay the course. Let's stay strong. Forget about what you're going to lose out on or miss out on. Be willing to give those things up. And really, what are we missing out on, right? What are you missing out on being different than this world, right? What are you missing out on? The life of wastefulness, right? The flood of wastefulness. Is that what you want to be associated with? Is living a life of waste. Life comes and goes and it was all a waste. So again, family, after all that Christ has done for us, after all his suffering, right? Let's live for him. Let's live for him with all that we got. Let's live for him, right? Only one life. We only got one life. Soon going to pass. Only what's done for Christ is going to last. What are you going to have? What are you going to have? Let's finish off with that poem. It's by C.T. Studd. Maybe you haven't heard it before. Let's see if I can get through it without crying. Always wrecks me. It says, two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. And then in that day, my Lord to me, and stand before his judgment seat, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, and when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasures on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say it was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out 
for thee. Again, family, may each of us at the end of our life have joy. May we be ready. May we be like Paul saying, I'm ready to go on a cruise. I'm ready to depart. Not having to hold on because I didn't do enough. I didn't serve enough. And that's not salvation. Again, salvation, it's in faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. But once you get to heaven, what will you have to show, right? It says that each of us will throw a crown at his feet. I really believe, I don't know if it's completely 1,000% solid idea, right? But it says that he's going to judge all of our works. All of our works, he's going to see them through his perfect eyes. And those things that were done in our life for our own selfish aim and our own selfish pleasure, our own selfish desire, it's going to be burned up, wood, hay, and stubble. But those things that were actually done for the Lord, it's going to be gold and jewels and diamonds. I believe that which is left is going to be fused into the crowns that we have for Christ. And those are the crowns that we get to throw at his feet. The only physical thing that we'll really be able to give back to him. The only physical thing, the only gift that we can physically give to our Lord and Savior is that crown. And I believe it's going to be based with all those things that we've done for him. So again, what will we have? That's some of those scriptures that I'm like, Lord, how is there no crying in heaven, right? How are there no tears? When some of us, when I look back at my life and see the 18, 19, 20 wasted years, Lord, how is there going to be no crying? So again, for each of us, ask yourself, are you serving the Lord with all your heart? Are you holding back? Are you making excuses? Were you a better servant to Satan than you are a servant for the Savior, right? Ask yourself, were you a better servant to Satan than you were to the Lord? Are you all of a sudden too busy, can't do it, I don't have enough time, too many responsibilities, now that it's for Christ, now that it's for something everlasting, but for the world, you said, oh, you could take me wholeheartedly, right? That we'd give him all that we have, that we'd be willing to suffer, to flee from sin, and we'd be willing to suffer to give back to our Lord and Savior.